here we go. Are you ready for another program at Life Church Home? Because the truth is, I've got a word on my heart for you. This is not just an ordinary week. I believe this is an exceptional word to help transform every area of your life. Come on, let's get started, and then I'll be back to pray with you at the end of this message. Lord, we thank you for the dynamic power of your word. And as we approach it, Lord, we don't want to stumble into it as if by accident. No, we want to collide with the incredible truth of your word so that it could impact our world and make a difference right here, starting tonight. And that it would start a chain reaction that would sweep through our family, Lord. And that we would see your goodness in the land of the living. Lord, we would cause you intentionally, Lord, to move on our behalf and change our family, change the north of England and the nations of the world. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, as I approach Jeremiah 29, let me say this is the last week of our series on relatability. If you remember back, Charlotte started off the first week where she talked about relationships that feed you, breed you, and lead you. Great topic, great conversation that helped us. And then the next week, I talked about two anchors we need to have in our life. No matter what anyone else has ever said to you or promised to you or made fun or ridiculed you about, you've got to understand that you have an anchor in your relationship with Father God, your Abba anchor that nobody could ever take away. And that Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is your brother. And those two anchors, an Abba anchor and your brother anchor in Jesus Christ will hold you steadfast. And then Dave preached a great word last week. If you were here for that message called Drop Your Baggage, you know, and how Jesus' yoke is easy, his burden is light. And tonight I want to land this series on relatability and bring it home. This is the climax message. And whenever you hear a climax, I mean, we got to understand there's a lot of buildup in our society today about things that promise. Maybe it's the latest film out right now, like Kingsman, that promises it's the greatest movie that you've ever seen. And you go to see it, and it's rubbish. Let me save you the money. Or, you know, you go and you hear about, you read a book called, or you hear about something called Fifty Shades of Grey. Whatever it is that you're into promises so much. And when you actually see it, you just left unfulfilled and hungry and wanting more but the Word of God is not like that when you get into the Word of God it feeds your soul and changes your destiny and when you get into Jeremiah Jeremiah I mean gosh what a life he lived this amazing prophet Jeremiah his name and his book and his writings are found of course he didn't just write the book of Jeremiah he wrote a book called Lamentations he was called the weeping prophet where he poured out his soul again and again why because he lived in incredibly difficult times. And his ministry spanned over a 40-year period. I mean, if you could work at one job for 40 years, wow, you'd need a gold watch. But in Jeremiah's time, when he prophesied 40 years, it was in five different kingdoms, only one of which was a godly kingdom that had reform, the kingdom of Josiah. And then from there, it went from good to slightly worse to slightly worse, and finally... At the end of his ministry, the, the kingdom of Babylon came and carried away God's entire people into exile. And this horrible, destructive time that he lived in and ministered in is the context for Jeremiah chapter 29. And I wanted to establish that because it makes what I'm about to read so much more powerful. When you understand things were not cool, they were not kosher, they were not going well. And in our society today, often we deal with 
dramatic, dramatic things that we don't expect that happen to us. Tonight, as we uh, went into the service, I'm believing God for a miracle of a man that I know who has end-stage cancer, less than seven. I, I mean, we have these real-life scenarios and situations that we deal with, and, and it helps me to understand that in the book of Jeremiah, it wasn't just easy going. If anybody promises you that Christianity is going to be easy going, they're a liar. It's not going to be easy going. But it's the most exciting, dynamic adventure that you'll ever be a part of. It's not a roller coaster because it goes from strength to strength. Not up and down, but just grows day by day. And in Jeremiah, he was able to last the test of time. He was able to have tenacity that kept him strong. He never compromised in his message because inside of Jeremiah burned this incredible concept. It was Jeremiah that brought the truth of the promised new covenant. And he talked about it and he prophesied about it. Even when he was at the darkest point of his circumstances, he did what the worship team exalted us to do and exhorted us to do earlier. He praised God anyway. And I think it's appropriate at whatever relational level we're going to, to dive into this today because I want to give us seven keys for relational victory. I want to give you seven keys. They're like a train. If you get on this train and you go from the first step to the seventh step, step your success isn't just promised, I dare to say, it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your background, because the word of God is true. Because our God is not a liar. He cannot lie. He cannot promise you something and not fulfill it. Our God is a mighty God. He's the God Almighty. He's the God eternal. He raises up kingdoms and he brings them down again. That's the God we serve. And yet he's after the test of our human condition, the test of our heart. He wants us to be totally, totally free and have no other idol before him no other thing before God and that was Jeremiah his purity his his capacity for good was phenomenal and so this is Jeremiah chapter 29 are you ready for this we start in verse 4 the words are going to come up behind me and this is the answer that's so important that we seek to life's big questions verse 4 this is what the Lord Almighty the God of Israel says to all those are carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Let me just pause there. If God can do this in Babylon, he can do it in Bradford. If he can do it in Babylon, he, you know, he can do it in Leeds, or he can do it in Belfast, or he can do it in Warsaw. It's not just about a Babylonian experience. You've got to take it and you've got to apply it. You see, this is about how do we raise children in such pressured times? How do we do that? How do we invest in our university students? How do, you, how do you invest in yourselves with the hope of getting a job one day? How do you do that in turbulent times? Well, well this is the first step that's going to help answer some of these questions. Point number one, if you're taking notes. This is point number one. And this is what Jeremiah says. This is God's command to us, to every single one of us. Build houses and settle down. Number one, build houses and settle down. Now, that doesn't seem very exciting. Woo, let's get all excited. Build houses and settle But think about this. This is the context of captivity. They're literally in this mindset of, oh, my gosh, we've lost our land. It's over. You know, when we can't go back to Jerusalem. We've lost our nation. Everything's finished. And then God comes and says, no, 
This is not about your national geographical location. I can bless you where you are. Build houses and settle down. Now to build house, to build a house, you've got to have a long-term commitment and you've got to raise the finances and you've got to enter into a long-term contract just to be able to buy the house. And today's society, you know, <laughs> when you're thinking about a 25-year mortgage or a 30-year mortgage, that's a long commitment. And yet that's God's instruction. Build house. Not only that, he says, settle down. Now, I mentioned earlier when we were in Phoenix, Tommy Barnett was one of my heroes in the faith. I mean, what a man of God he is. He's 73 years old and still going strong and still loving Jesus and still full of faith. And you know, he's talking about how he's believing God for a billion dollars to build dream centers around the globe. And just incredible faith. But he reminded, and he said to the pastors, he said, look, he said, you grumbling pastors. He said, when I built the campus that you're in, he said, in Phoenix, Arizona, beautiful campus. He said the APR interest rate was over 21%. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh. Our APR at the moment is what, 3%, 4%? Imagine an APR six times the amount you're paying on your house. And yet the point is, if you build house and settle down, don't get bogged down by those interest rates. Because your God is your provider. And he, and he can move despite of the circumstances around you. And Jeremiah was instructed by God to go out and buy this derelict land, three miles from Jerusalem, buy the tract of land, take the deed, put it in a potted jar vessel to seal the deed permanently for future generations. So even though there was a, a time when the land was worthless at the moment, God was instructing him to do something incredible, to build a house. And I'm saying that because at the moment, the temptation is to rent, is to rent, is to rent. So hard to get on the board. But I want to let you know that real estate prices and land prices will never be lower again than they are right now today in your lifetime. So let's take advantage of it. I know it's not going to be easy. I know it's going to be tough. But let's do what we can do to get on the board. Because here's the truth. There's nothing wrong with renting. But you've got to realize when you're renting, you're paying for somebody else to get financially successful. It might be a landlord. It might be a realtor. But the point is you're putting somebody else on the board. But let's reverse that. Let's make a plan to build and then to settle down. See, often after we buy and we start building, we, we have this mentality that, you know, we, we, we like what we have, but, but we want what other people have. We want the bigger house, or we want the better climate with no rain. Wouldn't it be great to live in a place that doesn't have a rain? It doesn't have rain. It's sunny all the time, and, oh, no, let's settle down there. No, no, the Word of God is simple. Settle down where you are. Settle down is so, so important. Settle down means things like, you know, don't be looking around to a better job prospect or to another city. No, no, you decide to settle down right here, right now. And when you get that understanding of that long-term investment, you realize that you're building your family base. I could go all day just on this first point, but I can't do it because I've got six more to go. But this is where you own your neighborhood. You know, you, you got you to, gotta, when, you, when you settle down, you walk around differently because you don't plan on moving next week, next month. No, you're there long-term. And I want to let you know that never have a short-term mentality. When I first moved to England, I didn't have a short-term mentality. And it led me to some interesting 
challenges, but, but I realized if we're going to do anything significant for God, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time. So don't just question, oh my gosh, don't just question, you know, oh, can I really do this? You know, after one week or after six months, no, no, no. Think long-term, settle down, and be happy with where you are today. Everybody say, point number one is finished, thank God. Point number two, after you get that nailed, then God goes on through Jeremiah to say this, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Now, this is a little bit harder for me to talk about. Building houses and settling down, I get. Planting gardens, I don't get very well. I need to go to some of my gardening friends like Steve Matthew, who understands gardening. Because I realized gardening is a beautiful thing, even though I don't understand it very much. It's an awesome thing. For this reason, it puts you in touch with nature and with the natural seasons of life in a way that nothing else does. And when my natural father, Dennis, when he went bankrupt about 12 years ago now, I said, Dad, you know, how are you doing in your bankruptcy? And he was depressed, and he'd lost his business that he'd worked 35 years for. And he says, Steve, I'm going to be okay because I've planted a garden. I said, Dad, what do you mean you planted a garden? What kind of answer is that? You've lost your business. He said, no, no, I've planted a garden. I've got my, my beans. I've got my peas. And he started to name all these vegetables. I can't even remember what he had. But he'd literally gone out and started his own allotment at the back end of an orchard. And started to plant. And every day, he got out, and he watered it, and he looked after it. And then he just knew that over the course of time, that ground was going to produce a harvest. And the point is this. When we're going through difficult times, you've got to understand the seasons are going to change. The seasons will change. You will go from winter. You will go from winter into your next season. But you've got to trust God in the process. Don't mess with the process. You just got to trust God while you're planted. Plant the garden. The produce is coming. Don't worry about it. Just keep watering it, and it will grow, and it will grow, and it will grow. And then there's a moment when you have to enjoy what the garden has produced. And this is the great part. This is the, this is the part where you sit around the dining room table and you're like, those are my beans. Now, most of you have never had that experience because you get your beans from Aldi's. I get that. But if you were gardening, you'd be like, this is my produce. This is what I've grown. And this is another level of understanding. And I fear that in our 21st century concept and mentality, we don't understand the fact that if we're more in touch with the natural cycle of nature and we're more outside than we are inside, then we're going to see some things that we're not normally seeing. And, and I know this is not easy when it's raining. Maybe it's because I have a dog and I'm outside a lot. But when I'm outside and, I, and I'm outside, I'm I'm realizing, I get a breath of fresh air in me, and oxygen fills my lungs again, and I feel energy come back into me. And this is what the Bible's trying to teach. Be in touch with the natural season of life. Don't be sedentary. Plant a garden because the produce is coming. I'm prophesying to some of you, your produce is coming. It's going to come up. It's going to spring up out of that ground. Speak to that seed in the name of Jesus. Call that out of that ground. And in due time, if you do not give up and you do not grow weary, a harvest is going to come. Point number two. Say point number two is finished. Thank God. Let's get on to point number three. This is one of my favorite points. Some of you are going to wake up. Amen Corner is going to wake up right now because it says this. God says, Mary. Not like Mary and Joseph. No, like Mary. Go on, I dare you. Just go on and kiss the person next to you right now. No, I'm, the kid. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just saying, 
Mary. Now this is so, so important. Because I tell you what, people today, they're like, why should we get married? Our marriage isn't going to last. Our marriage could break down. What's the point? Let's cohabitate. Let's do anything but marry because marry is about commitment. You know, the Bible speaks so clearly about marriage. Some things the Bible doesn't address. But about marriage, the Bible is full of a marriage. It says, husbands, love your wives. I mean, it's clear about its instruction all through the Bible. But here's the great thing. Jeremiah doesn't just say, get married. He says, get married and have sons and daughters. And then it goes way, way, way into the future and says, go and find wives, or a wife, wives plural, because I'm talking to a plural audience, or husbands for your sons or daughters. Now think about that. Okay, now I've been married 19 years this year, about to be 20. But the day I got married, I couldn't even dream about my children that were going to come. Let alone think about them having marriage, married partners many, many years ago. So here's Jeremiah prophesying from the words of God saying, hey, you've got to go out and find wives and you've got to go out and find husbands. Question, where are we going to find them? I want to let you know I found my wife in church. Not in a bar, not going out, sleeping around in a nightclub, but in church. Boom, there she was about the things of God and about the purposes of God. You see, some of you... You're, you're, you're so stressed out, you know, because you're like, I don't know where my wife is. No, no, this is what you've got to understand. If you're single at the moment, and I learned how to do this, take this train back. Hey, if you're just planting a garden, don't worry, your garden's going to reap. Don't worry about it. It's going to be cool. And I would often take walks before I even met Charlotte, and I would pray for the girl I haven't met yet. I would go out and just thank you, Jesus. You got the right girl for me at the right time, and I don't need to worry about it. What I need to do is serve you and focus on the things that are in front of me right here, right now. And that brought my mind to peace. And that understanding is a long-term mindset. And I'm already thinking about, and I hate to say this because my daughter's 11, I'm already praying for her future husband. And I pray it's many, 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 many years down the road. <laughs> and of course, I don't know if my daughter's in the room. God help me if she is. But... She has a t-shirt called Fries Over Guys. Come on. Every father says amen. Let that last till she's 99. No. <laughs> Fries Over Guys. That's what we say about now. But at the moment, I'm already God. God provided a godly man for my daughter. And I'm not worried about it. It's just a prayer. And then I move on and I leave it to God. But you know what? Even in society today with all of its horrible sexual discrimination and all the different exploitation going on, you can have a great, godly marriage. You can have a great relationship. Don't believe the doomsayers, and I'll get into that in a minute. But the facts tell us this. I'm just reading a book called, uh, by Timothy Keller, one of my favorite writers, called The Meaning of Marriage. And he makes the point in this book, and he surveyed many different people in, his, in, in the place where he's pastoring. And, and he talks about, he says, people that are in the midst of their marriage crisis. And at the middle of their marriage crisis, he says, if they commit to work through their problems, even though they could divorce, he said, if they commit to work through their problems, within five years, 80% of those couples are happily married after a five-year period. After 10 years, they can barely even remember what they fought about in that period of time. Now, I'm bringing that because if I'm going to be honest with you, my first year of marriage to my gorgeous wife was my hardest year of marriage. And it was my hardest year of marriage because I was set in my ways. 
And, and I thought that I knew better than God thought. You know, have you ever had an argument with God? Guess what? You lose every time. <laughs> and you know, most people go to conferences, Christian conferences, to get built up and be encouraged. And we went to the Hillsong Conference in 1999. And after the particular day of ministry, which was a great ministry day, and I was there, and Stephen K. Matthews were there, and Stephen K. were having a great time enjoying Jesus and learning, and I was just in the middle of the biggest argument I'd ever had with my wife. And I was to blame. And, and the problem was I didn't understand what God was doing in my life. And I was so frustrated. And I didn't do my first point. I hadn't settled down. And I was still striving. I said, God, when is it going to come? When is your promise going to become fulfilled? And I was like messing around with the seed that I planted, thinking, do I have to go back to America? You know, where's the right place for me? Where's the right setting for me? And we got into this conversation. I remember Charlotte to me look, saying, Steve, just settle down. God's going to take care of it all. And I said, no, I'm going to go back to America. She goes, well, then you're on your own, buddy. I'm like, whoa. And then she said the scripture, the scripture. Ugh. Hey, if I could take one scripture out of the Bible, this would be it. Scripture in Ephesians, you can look it up later. And it says, it pains me to even say this. She would say, I would say, Charlotte, submit to me. Submit to me, submit to me. Submit to my leadership in our family. I'm hearing from God. And she said, no, Steve. She goes, you know, you're using the word submit, but, but right in that same passage it says that husbands, give yourselves up for your wives. This is the kicker. Just as Christ gave himself up for the church, dagger through my heart, pick me up off the floor, kill me right then and there as I stand, and then it goes on to say that as husbands, we should wash our wives with the word of God so that she would appear without blemish and radiant on the judgment day of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, okay, just, okay, I'm, I'm repenting now. And I had to realize that if my marriage was going to make it through the long haul, I was going to have to change everything I'd ever been taught. And I was going to have to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Guess what? When I found that I could love my wife as Christ loved the church, I couldn't even remember what I was arguing about because I'd settled down. It was like automatic. When you get that kind of love, everything else just settles down and it clicks into place like dominoes and God takes you from one level to the next. But I'm bringing that because society doesn't teach you that. Society teaches you that, that if you don't like the one you're with, you get rid of her and get somebody else. I'm like, no, 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 no. God doesn't say that. God says you love the wife of your youth and you stay with her. Now, I know there's grounds, biblical grounds for divorce, but I'm making the point that they're very clear what those biblical grounds are. And, and if you're not in that place where you're in the area of, of unfaithfulness, you're not in the area, then stick at it. Persevere. Sit down. Do the work of getting help. Don't let that argument go just between the two of you. Bring somebody else in and let's model to our society today the kind of marriage that glorifies God, that is the building block for the family unit that will last the test of time. That's our destiny. And now I'll be 20 years married and I'm so, so glad that I made the decisions that I did back then. Stick with the long haul. Are you with me now? Point number three is finished. Okay, point number four, you're ready. Just roll your sleeves up, we're still going. Increase in number there. What does that say? It says there. Do you know what that means in the Hebrew, the word there? It means there. It means right, right where you are right now. There is your, uh, this church, where your bum is. That's where God has planted you. So increase. Do not decrease. 
Society wants us to decrease. They tell us, you know, Christians are on the decline. Churches are on the decline. No, that's not the truth. The truth is we can increase when we have a mindset to increase. Growth is a natural byproduct of loving Jesus. Things grow. I mean, just look at Tim and Sasha Nelson, four children still going strong. They're growing the church all by themselves. I mean, increase is, is what we need to have a mindset to do. If you have a business, don't think about decreasing when you're going through difficult times. No, take advantage of the fact that people are going out of business. Your competitors are going out of business. This is the time for you to increase, not decrease. And you've got to find a way to make that happen. Growth is not just something that we should pray about. It's called fruitfulness. Increase is about productivity. It's what Jesus talked about. He rebuked a tree that didn't produce fruit. And the Christian life is all about productivity. Let's not let somebody who doesn't know Jesus be more productive than we are. Let's not let people who don't have a relationship with the living God leave us standing when it comes to advance and productivity. Let's take over the art industry. Let's take over the music industry. Let's let the fashion industry be taken over by Christians who love Jesus. I mean, this is how increase works in every measure of our society. All right, deep breath. Here we go. Five minutes. I'm on point number five. Two left. This is where we move now. Catch this shift from our personal, individual relationship where God is talking about our families to where we're thinking about other people. Point number five, God says, also. Also is a transition word. We can't just be focused on our own needs. We've got to look at other people's needs as well. And so God instructs all of the people that lived in this time, and he's saying the same thing to us tonight, to seek the peace and prosperity of our city. The peace and prosperity of our city is what we pray about. Now, I know we've been in the city many years, but what's new about our role in the city now is that we actually know who leads the council in Bradford. David Green, he's called, and he actually came and lectured our academy. It was amazing. So, so when he came, when, I don't know, some of our academy students maybe remember this, he walked in, and it was on an afternoon, and there were just about 60 academy students. Yeah. And they, the academy students, they were awesome. Our academy is awesome. It's always awesome. Yeah, there was like three of us. Yeah, good on you. <laughs> they jumped up to their feet, and they gave David a round of applause. This is not a political statement. It's not about labor. It's not about conservative. I'm not talking about that in any way. But I am talking about praying for the people who are making the decisions on behalf of other people. These are elected officials. And David turned to me and he said, I have never been publicly applauded in my life. I only ever get booed when I walk in to situations in Bradford. And as he said that, I could feel the weight of the man in the role. I could feel the weight of a, of a man just trying to do his best, so aware of his limitations. And I thought to myself, thank God that Life Church is making a difference today. And in this location, as we started to pray for this city and this situation, now we're praying for Belfast and Leeds and Warsaw, even now in the Houses of Parliament and some other behind-the-scenes situations. And when God rescued us from our rates bill, I believe in it, it's because we're connected. We're connected in helping the addict come off the street. We're connected with helping 
girls that are in horrible lifestyle realize that Jesus Christ can take them off the streets and give them a plan. We're connected to that. We're, we're, we're supporting ministries like Hope for Justice. And by the way, just this last week, Hope for Justice had a record uh, amount of finances raised in one local area where a local radio station in America raised over $120,000 and gave it to rescue people from human trafficking. Isn't that amazing? I love what God is doing. And we've got to realize that we have a lot of work to do in our city. But here's the point. This city does not belong to the enemy. It belongs to the Christians who are willing to pray for it and fight for it and wrestle for it. Not to those who are just worried about their own salvation. No, this city belongs to God. Acts chapter 2 says, ask and demand for the nations because there are inheritance. We've got to ask. We can't just say, okay, you know, you know we're just going to roll up to Life Church and be happy with a meeting like this. No, no. When I walk around my neighborhood, what do I see? I see pain. I see loneliness. I see depression. And we can't just ignore that. We've got to decide to do something about it. Point number six. Point number six says this. This is, again, God saying, and this is so powerful. God says, do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams they encourage you to have. They are prophesying lies in your name. Now, you might think, oh, what's that about? Well, I'll tell you what it's about. Turn on the news at 6, and you're going to see more depression in the space of 10 minutes. And you can fill your mind, and you can fill your household with the negativity that's going around the world today. Here's the question I want to ask you. Do we actually have more wars and more criminal acts and more horrific things going on now? Or is it just that the media brings them into our living rooms and brings them into our kitchens? And, you know, when you study history, you see all kinds of violence over the ages. The difference we have today is that we're finding out about it through social media. As it happens, it breaks. Now, I remember when 9-11 happened some years ago, September 11, 2001. That was a defining moment for our generation. If, you're, if you were born... Sort of after that period, you missed this. But it was the assassination of JFK to our generation. We were in a leadership meeting here at a live church, and I got a telephone call from my mom, who was still alive. She phoned to say, Steve, airplanes are falling out of the sky. New York is being bombed. We don't know what to do. We're, we're frightened. Every major airline is grounded. And I tell you what, I watched the news, and I watched the, the planes crash into the two towers again and again and again and again until it was ingrained in my memory. And then I watched it again. I had to watch it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And finally, I had to switch it off and move on with my life. Yeah. And literally, some of us have to do that because we're filling our minds with the violence in Iraq or the violence in Afghanistan or the violence that's going on, the racial prejudice in Africa or in the United States. You're filling your mind with it. And it's good to be informed, but not so that it affects your destiny, not so that it affects God blessing you. Because the fact is that it's good to be aware so you can pray, but not so that it robs you of your energy and your faith. Because it's like, I tell you what, we're dealing with suicides today. Because people are just filling their mind. What's the point? Why, why should we even try to go on? And now finally I'm going to get to the seventh key because time's going. Piano player can jump up because I know I'm going to finish soon. Now finally we get to Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11. This is the refrigerator promise that most of us know. But after all those six keys, God says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
plans to prosper you, not to harm you, and plans to give you hope and a future. Wow. That wasn't written to somebody that was living in a palace. It was written to somebody who was living in a prison in captivity. That wasn't written to somebody who was born with royal blood in their veins. That was somebody who was saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and believing in the promise. That wasn't somebody who grew up rich with a big bank account. No, that was written to people in poverty who were believing God for a breakthrough. Don't you dare doubt that God doesn't yet still have a promise for you. He loves you. He's got a plan for your life. He's not through with you yet. He's not finished with you yet. He's not divorcing you because you made mistakes. No, he is signing you up for success. God has a plan for us, Life Church, a plan to prosper us and our families. And I bring this to a close. I want to let you in on an amazing testimony of a man who lived in the 18th century. He was a preacher. He was a leading critical thinker of his day. He was called Jonathan Edwards, not our dear John Edwards here, because John's still alive. This is Jonathan Edwards who was a preacher who lived many years ago. Jonathan and his wife Sarah had 11 children. Oh my gosh, that's already a miracle. 11 children. And, and later on in life, a 20th century scholar had an idea. He thought, I wonder what the legacy of a man of God like Jonathan Edwards is. And he spent time tracing the ancestral tree of Jonathan Edwards over 150 year period and then comparing that to a contemporary of Jonathan Edwards called Max Jukes. And I tell you what, it is astounding the results of what he found out. Jonathan Edwards' legacy was this. His bloodline and lineage includes one U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. Wow. In contrast, Max Jukes, his descendants included seven murderers, 60 thieves, 50 women in debauchery, 130 convicts and criminals, 310 paupers that lived over 2,300 years in poorhouses, and 400 who were wrecked by addictive lifestyles. It was estimated that Max Jukes' descendants cost the state more than $1,250,000. The difference between these two families was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ saved one family, changed their lineage that went forward forever. Why? Because God had a plan, not just for Jonathan Edwards, but God has a plan for you. If from this moment you trace forward what God will do in your future descendants, you too can believe God and see these kind of breakthroughs. And people will say about you that people, great politicians, great preachers, great business leaders, they're going to come from you because God has a plan for you. God has a plan for me. Come on, somebody. We've got to receive this by faith. God has a plan for us. Doesn't matter where we're from. Doesn't matter where we were born. God's got a plan. I get excited when I'm preaching because I tell you what, I'm preaching to myself. God has a plan for my daughter, Hope. God has a plan for my son, Noah. They're going to grow up in a godly lifestyle. They're going to find a great partner. They're not going to get divorced. They're going to go from strength to strength. They're not going to worry about poverty and about brokenness because Jesus Christ has saved them already in their young age. 
Come on, somebody. I'm believing God for this breakthrough. You see, I'm believing God that God's going to move in our prisons, that God's going to move in our hospitals, that God's going to move in our neighborhoods. We're going to see things, the greater things that Jesus prophesied about, greater that He is in us. I mean, these things are coming. I tell you what, church, you ain't seen nothing yet. But it all starts right here, right now, tonight. When you decide, okay, God, I believe you were. I'm on the train. I'm going to build and settle down. Boom. I've settled it. I'm going to take that one and I'm going to anchor it in your word. I'm going to plant, and I'm going to eat that produce. I'm going to marry, and I'm going to believe God. You know, and you start this train running, and when that train breaks down, you go back through those compartments. You go, okay, this is where I've lost it. I'm back on the train, and then you take it forward from there. Come on, let's stand up. Church is finished. But I want to Hey, as we finish our time together, I know now you understand how much God loves you and I hope you have a better grasp on His incredible plan and purpose for your life. A plan to prosper you and give you hope, a plan to give you a great future, not just an ordinary destiny, but something that's tailor-made just for you. I believe that with all my heart because I know that God, He sent His Son Jesus Christ not just to die for us, but to give us eternal life that starts right now. So come on, get busy, get believing, and apply these seven principles, and I know you're going to change your world. Cherish is our annual women's conference taking place on the 28th to the 30th of May at the First Direct Arena in Leeds. The Bible says that now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know as I am fully known. He knows everything about you, from the hairs on your head to the destiny inside your heart. God knows you. You are known. Hosted by Charlotte Gamble with special guests Priscilla Shira, Andy Andrews and Jen Johnson with Bethel Music. Don't miss out. You can book online at lifechurchhome.com.